Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we have the first instalment of a story told at McCready's Bar by the famed mercenary Taylor, also known as Lady Hammerstrike. Taylor is as famous for her tall tales as for the bone-crushing relic hammer that she carries. But those who know her best know that her wildest and most implausible stories are often the ones that are closest to the truth. I hope you enjoy Welcome to Malifaux, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by MacReady's Bar. Come for the booze, stay for the stories. MacReady's is proud to host the finest storytellers in Malifaux every Friday night. Then, once the stories are over, stay even longer for more booze. All stories are guaranteed true. You want proof? Just try our 100 proof rock cup. Believe me, that's all the proof you'll need. Welcome to Malifaux, by Justin Gibbs. MacReady's bar sat just barely on the wrong side of the thin line between downtown and the slums. It wasn't the sort of place you would find guild officials or any of the wealthier inhabitants of Malifaux, but you probably wouldn't meet the dregs of society either. Like most Friday nights, it was packed full. Glasses clinked and conversation filled the air. Most of the patrons were miners, steam fitters, carpenters, or other hard-working folk who just wanted a cold drink after long hours of toiling for slim wages. At the bar sat a young woman in a simple grey shirt and pants. Her black hair was tied behind her in a practical ponytail. Despite her youth, laugh lines were starting to form around her eyes and mouth. On her back was slung an oversized hammer, and her right arm had been replaced with a hydraulic appendage. Another drink, she shouted over the noise. A young man with a stubby beard and dark, hungry eyes slid up next to her. You should be more careful, he said. She raised an eyebrow. Oh? Your arm, he glanced down. Lost it in a mine, did you? A steam press? If you had had someone like me around, it probably wouldn't have happened. Old MacReady gave the boy a hard stare. Ethan, you know who this is. A pretty girl, he shrugged. MacReady snorted. This is Taylor. She's a mercenary. Probably had her arm chopped off by bandits. Eating by gremlins is what she said last week, a man shouted from a table. A grizzled old miner down the bar shook his head. Don't think so, Zachariah. The way I heard it yesterday, it was a Slate Ridge mauler that done it. Taylor shook her head, smiled, and sipped her drink. McCready held up his hands to silence. The bar went about as quiet as it was going to get on a Friday night. All right, out with it, girl. What's the story today? 
Take a shot every time you spot a lie, someone shouted from the back. There was a roar of laughter at this, and MacReady started filling glasses in preparation. Today, Taylor began, I'm in a rather truthsome mood. Every story I tell you tonight will be exactly as it happened. And the honest truth is, I lost this arm in a bet. Everyone around her took a shot. I wasn't always a mercenary. There were days when I tried my hands, both my flesh and blood hands, at honest work. Or dishonest work, or whatever came along. I suppose it was a mercenary life in its own right, just with a tad less killing and brawling. What can I say? A girl can change her profession, but not her nature. Anyway, at this particular time, I had taken a job as a miner, if you can believe it. Got my union card and all. Fresh-faced and ready for an honest day's work. Don't remember how I ever got the notion in my damn fool head the union was the place for an honest day's work, but there I was. I was stationed in the old Demon's Mouth Mine, way up in the hills to the north. Some of you probably remember it. It has been shut down for years now, of course. Too many strange happenings. But at the time, it was in full swing, the height of its power. The mine itself had one main entrance, a gaping wound in the hard rock which opened up into a series of twisting tunnels that the Union had been painstakingly carving into the land. Right above the entrance were two old knotwood trees, both dead and black as night. They were terrible, twisted things that looked like horns atop a head with a screaming mouth. I suppose that's how the mine got its name. It was a nice day, at least as nice as it gets in Malifaux. Not a cloud in the sky. Even so, the sulfurous fumes of that old mine hung low in the air like a shroud over the valley. After the usual paperwork and handshakes, I was introduced to an old miner by the name of Mahoney. I was told I was his recruit. He was to show me the ropes, so to speak. He had a thick black beard which was just starting to gray at the edges. His arms were all muscle, and he stood a head taller than me, but his face was soft and kind. Put this on, girl, he said, tossing me an old dusty bandana. I started wrapping it round my neck. Heh, <laughs> no, like this. He tied his own around his mouth and nose. I thought we were mining, not robbing a train, I sneered. Know what soulstone dust does in your lungs, girl? I shook my head. Well, neither do I, at least not exactly. He shrugged. Some say it saps the life out of you. Same as it would a dead man. I'm more inclined to think it just scratches around in there until you're coughing up bloody bits of yourself. Either way, he tugged on his bandana, making sure it was tight. As I tied the bandana around my face, I began rethinking some aspects of my new profession. Even so, I had already worked more than one job that had a pretty rough first day. Now some would keep you here chewing your ear off, but I think it's best just to get down to it and look for yourself. Mahoney cocked his head towards the opening of the mine. I nodded and we were off. As we passed into the mine itself, I couldn't help but imagine I was being swallowed by some long dead giant carved into the very land. A chill rattled my body. Lamps were mounted on the walls every few feet, fighting a losing battle against the encroaching gloom. But it wasn't fear or despair or even dread that I felt as we descended deeper into that slumbering monstrosity. It was an intense anxiousness, like a trigger ready to be pulled or an animal about to pounce. 
Something was waiting. Mahoney must have seen my eyes darting from side to side and laughed. Don't worry, that feeling goes away. Everyone gets it the first few times down here, some worse than others. We call them the demon's mouth shakes. He paused as the other miners shuffled by us on their way up. Some say it's the way the dark enclosed spaces work on the human mind. But I don't fall into that way of thinking much. Otherwise, other minds would have it just as bad. Others, they say this place is cursed, he smirked. Me, I think of some form of foul air, noxious gas from under the ground, something particular to this mine. All the more reason for these, he tugged on his bandana again. Sorry, I said, shaking my head. The place just feels wrong. That it does, he nodded. But now that you got the feel for the place, albeit unpleasant, it's time to go over the basics. This here, he said, gesturing to the tunnel we were in, is a drift. That means it's a tunnel that follows the direction of a vein. Vein? I raised an eyebrow. Mahoney sighed. Vein of soulstone, what we're looking for. This tunnel goes in the same direction. You see this? He pointed to a deep black streak of rock along the wall. This is not rock. Useless stuff. But in some rare deposits, this one included, we find a soul stone right alongside it. You have a look, girl. That's an arrow pointing straight to payday. I got down on my knees and inspected the night rock. It was a cool obsidian black. The kind of black you only see on a moonless night. It ran through the stone walls of the shaft. Branching in seemingly random directions like a spider web or blood seeping from a wound. Now the tunnel up ahead, the branches, Mahoney continued. That's a cross cut. It goes against the vein. We'll use it for ventilation and transportation and the like. We continued deeper and deeper into the tunnel, taking turns that seemed random to me. The whole time Mahoney continued my education. He went on about dynamite and blasting caps where to drill and what was stable. I don't care to remember most of what he said, and I don't know how long we descended into that waiting blackness. Before long, we were so turned around I didn't know which way was up. It seemed like hours since we'd last seen another human being. How far down do we have to go, I asked as we took another turn. Hmm? Oh. Mahoney stopped in his tracks. I always get carried away when I get started on how to brace a tunnel. This is a bit deeper than I had intended to take you. Let's see, uh, it's this. He was cut off as the ground beneath us jumped. There was one loud bang, like a blast going off, and we were both thrown to the ground. Are they blasting above us? I shouted as we got up. Mahoney had gone white as a sheet. No, no worse. That was an earthquake. Now, when most people think of earthquakes... They think of the ground shaking from side to side for a good few minutes. With huge gashes opening up in the earth and everything in sight falling. Some of them are like that, sure. But most are just one giant thump, like someone kicking a table that you happen to be standing on. By the time you know what's happened, it's over. Then you just have to hope everything around you is still stable. It wasn't. There was a tremendous crack as the wooden bracers above us gave out. Mahoney grabbed my shoulders and shoved me to the ground, getting us both as far as he could. Once the dust cleared, I stood up and brushed myself off. It seemed like everything was still more or less attached, 
even if I was considerably scratched and bruised. Mahoney? I peered through the dusty air as the lights flickered about me. Mahoney! I gasped at what I saw. His lower legs were crushed under a ton of rock and debris. His arms at awkward, twisting angles. There was blood seeping from his ears and pooling on the ground. I bent down and felt his neck, searching for a pulse. There was none. Thank you, you poor bastard, I muttered as I closed his eyes. I spent a few minutes letting the dust clear and trying to get my bearings. The tunnel branched in two directions, with a third behind me that had been cut off by the rock which crushed Mahoney. Eventually I sighed and shrugged my shoulders. Standing around wasn't doing me any good, so I picked a direction and started walking. All of the tunnels looked the same to me, so I trudged on into the waiting beast, the lights flickering around me. I don't know how long I spent in those cursed tunnels, but eventually I saw a light up ahead. My heart leapt into my throat and I quickened my pace as I approached what I thought was my salvation. But soon I realized that although the light wasn't artificial flickering lamplight, it wasn't sweet daylight either. It was too dim, too unnatural. In fact, there weren't even any lamps here, just a steady twilight glow from ahead. The tunnel opened out into a large cavern. On the walls were tapestries and decorations. Animal heads hung as trophies. Some were familiar. Lions, bears, wolves. Others were twisted abominations, even from Malifaux. Vases, weapons, and other artifacts were littered about. As odd as all that was, it paled in comparison to the woman who was waiting for me there in the cavern, in the heart of the great beast. She was stark naked. Her skin was white as silk, stretched tight over her ribs, and her hair was midnight black. Two twisted black branches spouted from her head like horns, and her eyes. Her eyes were gleaming soul stones, sparkling in the light. Two dark slits of night rock split them in the center, giving them the appearance of a cat's eyes. Deep black veins spiderwebbed their way in every direction from each eye socket. She looked at me and grinned. The hair stood up on the back of my neck, and my breath caught in my throat. For a long moment we stared at each other. The grin never left her face. My first instinct was to run, but I know what the cat does when the mouse starts darting about. We have caught such a clever girl, haven't we? Haven't we? Her voice rippled through the cavern. It wasn't harsh or grating. It was a soft, feminine voice. But it wasn't right, either. It was just a tad too high-pitched. The syllables were drawn out in all the wrong places, like something imitating human speech. Don't gawk, clever girl, don't gawk. Come, sit, sit. We've prepared a game for you. The thing hissed, gesturing to a table off to the side with two chairs. That didn't sound like a good idea to me. That didn't sound like a good idea at all. Sorry to bother you, I said as I slowly backed away. I was just looking for the way out. The thing snapped her fingers, and a row of steel bars instantly shot out of the ground, cutting off the only escape. You will win your way out, or you will lose. 
and lose your way, the thing said, tilting her head. Now it is time to play. I looked around in shock. I put my hand on one of the bars and pulled as hard as I could. Then the next one. It was solid. What, uh, what sort of game is it? Will you let me out if I win, I asked, turning back to water. If that is your price, if that is your price. Sit with us. Sit, the thing gestured to the table again. Slowly, hands trembling, I made my way to the table and sat down. It was covered in bones and had a deck of cards. The bones were long and slender, blanched white. Finger bones, if I had to guess. I shuddered. The cards, at least, were familiar enough. It was just a deck of playing cards, same as you can find in any bar. All the usual suits. Crows, masks, rams, and tomes. The thing sat across from me. Now, just a few feet away, I couldn't help but stare into her eyes. Those shining, uncaring, soulless mockeries of eyes. Oh, tut, tut, the little bird shouldn't look into the snake's eyes. She will still with fear. And then what fun is the game? The thing grinned larger than before, showing fangs. Yes, fangs. It was a hell of a first day on the job. What, uh, what's your name, I ventured? hoping to put the idea of snakes and fangs as far from the thing's mind as possible. We are nameless as we serve the nameless, the thirteenth, the forgotten. We are her champions, her... She cocked her head as if trying to remember the word. Children. Oh yeah, should have known. This didn't really make me feel any better, but I wanted to stall for time. Maybe they'd sent out a search party for me. Why do you keep saying we? Silly question, silly question. There are two of us, of course. She pointed a finger at one eye. One, and another finger at the other eye. Two. The silly bird is confused. She is used to a body like this only having one soul. This one used to. It did, it did. How lonely. We fixed her. A chill went down my spine. I really needed to stop asking the thing about itself. Why do we have to play a game? And how do I know you'll hold up your end if I win? The thing cocked her head. Everything in this life is a game. Oh, yes. The only question is, what are you playing for? She grinned. And what choice does the little bird have? What choice? I sighed. So, what's the game? Bones of the bayou, the thing hissed as she struck out with her arm faster than I could see, placing a single black-nailed finger on my forehead. Instantly, my head exploded with pain, as if I'd been kicked by a mule. I reeled back in my chair, letting out a long, low moan. But more than pain had entered my mind. In that instant, I knew how to play. The cards were used similarly to buy a two-card. Both players had a hand of two cards, with five cards face up on the table. Each player placed bets or folded before revealing their cards. Best hand took all. The only difference was the bones. Before placing a bet, 
a player could arrange their bones, increasing the value of certain cards on the table, or changing the priority of certain hands. I coughed and spat. You could have just explained it to me. Oh, we did explain. We did explain. Shall we explain again? No, no, I said, holding up a card. Once was enough. Got it. Bones, cards, betting. Sounds like great fun. She shuffled and dealt. My first hand was promising. Two high crows and two more on the table. If a crow showed up in the next two cards, I'd have a flush. I adjusted my bones, increasing the value of the lone, useless mask on the table to throw things off and went to place my bet. Raise two scrip, I said, slapping him down on the table. The thing cocked her head one way, then another. The clever little bird wants to gamble with nothing, with nothing. No, no, something of value. But that's all I have of value. My voice trailed off. The thing gave me another grin, the one with fangs. The clever little bird values her life, doesn't she? Her arms, her legs, her mind, her soul. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We think she does. She does. Well, shit. Isn't there anything else? No. No, she is not as clever as she thinks. She can gamble away what she cares for, or we can tear it off piece by piece. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We are trying to give her a fair chance. We are as fair as the nameless is fair. A fight would not be a contest. But we will if we have to. We are hungry enough, aren't we? Yes, we are. The thing stood from her chair as she said this. Her eyes glowing a faint green. She licked her lips. Okay, my... My right pinky, I said, voice shaking. The thing nodded and sat down. We raise. We offer to lower the gate. I call, I said, trembling slightly. With... With my right pinky and my right ring finger. The thing cocked her head. That is not equal value. The hand. The hand. My stomach lurched, but I didn't see much choice. She seemed determined to tear pieces off of me. Not that I had any intention of letting her, but if I won, maybe I wouldn't have to fight her off. Fine. The hand. The next card came. It was a ram. I needed one more crow. Check, I said. The thing licked its lips. Raise. We lower the gate and tell the clever bird the way out. My heart jumped at this. What would be equal value? The thing put a finger up to her mouth. The arm, up to the elbow, she said with a nod. This gave me pause. But it wouldn't be much good without the hand anyway. Call, I said, letting out a long, slow breath. The next card was a crow. I had a flush. It was all I could do not to jump out of my seat. But there was no need to be greedy. I had my way out, so I checked. Raise, the thing hissed. The arm up to the shoulder for the lowering of the gate the way out, and we let the little bird keep her own eyes. You were going to... Yeah, never mind. I call, I said, slapping my cards down on the table. 
The thing let out a throaty laugh that filled the room and made my stomach churn. She flipped her cards over, and by the time I realized she had a full house, she had her claw-like fingers on my arm. No, wait. Time to clip the little bird's wings. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, she laughed. And pulled. Well, I can spare you the gory details, but needless to say, this was starting to become one of the worst first days on a job I had ever had. A few minutes later, I was back in my chair, hunched over a hand of cards and trying desperately to fight off unconsciousness due to blood loss. My vision was blurring, and I'd lost the contents of my stomach onto the floor. I could hardly even read my cards. I needed to win this hand, and win big. So I bet big. With my left hand, I removed the broken coin silver pocket watch from my coat. Raise. Oh, oh. This thing has much value to the little bird. More than her wing. Maybe more than her life. The thing searched the relics strewn about her room. This one, yes, she said, picking up a large hammer. She sings your name. Yes, yes, she does. Her name is the good lady. We call. I don't think that's equal value, I stuttered. Oh, yes, but yes, it is. It is one of thirteen. Thirteen hammers for thirteen tyrants. They hammered the last nails into the red cage. And she is the good lady. She sings your name. The thing placed the hammer delicately by her chair. The hammer is female? Of course, of course. The good lady must bring life. Only for a woman to do. Yes. I was losing too much blood. I shouldn't be asking about the damn hammer. Whatever. I'm all in. All in, the thing cocked her head. Yeah, all in, I screamed. My watch, my arm, my legs, my life, my clothes, my damn pocket lint. All in. If this went on any longer, I would pass out. I had to end it now. Ah, ah, the thing clapped her hands. Then we call, we call. You get the hammer, keep your eyes, learn the way out, and we stop the bleeding. Yes, we stop the bleeding. If you win. We flipped our cards over, and through blurred vision I could barely make out that I had a pair of fives and she had a pair of eights. My heart sank and I slumped in my chair. I had no more strength left to fight. The walls of my vision were closing. The blackness was becoming a part of my world. The thing rose from her chair, fingers growing in the claws, smile creeping unnaturally across her face and splitting skin from ear to ear. Those soulless, uncaring eyes boring into me as the black veins around them seemed to grow and spread down her neck. And then a bone fell straight out of nowhere. It clattered onto my end of the table. I had no idea what was going on, but one thing was certain. It changed my values. Fives were beaten eights. Wait. I could barely hear my own voice. I win. Fives beat eights. Fives beat eights. The thing stopped in mid-stride and stared at the table. She cocked her head one way and then another. She picked up the bone and examined it before putting it back exactly as it had been. Very well, very well, she sneered. It seems the servants of another of the thirteen favor you. Or they will in the future. 
in the future. The bone plays. She folded her arms and gritted her teeth, but didn't remove any more of my body parts, so I counted it as a win. My bleeding was stopped, and with another painful poke to the forehead, I was granted knowledge of the way out. The good lady over my shoulder. Zachariah had a line of shots in front of him and was quickly knocking them back. The hell are you doing? asked Ethan. She's not even talking anymore. Zachariah paused his drinking briefly. Not my fault she can move her lips faster than I can drink. I'm catching up. I believe you, Ethan said, wrapping an arm around Taylor's waist. Taylor grabbed Ethan's hand with her hydraulic fist and bent it back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't control it. It's acting on its own again. Let go of me, you crazy bitch, Ethan shouted. I know how those things work. You're the one doing this. Taylor smiled and dropped his hand. And all of a sudden, he's learned how to spot a lie. What she want with the arm anyway? Asked the grizzled miner down the bar. I told you I was leaving out the gory details, Taylor said, sipping her drink. McCready chuckled. Also doesn't explain how you got that hydraulic piece. Ah, Taylor replied. Union put that on me. Told them I lost the real thing in the quake. I figured they wouldn't pay me any overtime for time spent gambling with forgotten gods. They told me I had to work ten full years for them, too, to pay off the attachment, Taylor snorted. Left the next day. Turns out once you give someone a soulstone-powered steel arm, it's hard to stop them doing what they want. Taylor sipped her drink. Think they changed their policy after that. Zachariah had finally finished drinking. Not that anything else you said makes any sense, but what about the randomly appearing bone? Taylor smirked. Well, that's a story unto itself. But it turns out, if I had been in a position to pay more attention to it, I probably would have noticed bits of fried chicken still stuck to it. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time to learn the true story of that chicken bone in the conclusion of Welcome to Malifaux.